has so much talent. God bless her for that. And mom, and we know dad is recuperating from his trip, but God bless you for what you've done in rearing her that way. God bless, and the Lord, absolutely, the Lord. Take your Bible with me now and turn again to 2 Timothy chapter 3 in your Bible with me, 2 Timothy chapter 3. We looked a little bit this morning at our attitude toward the Bible. I am preaching this message and emphasized it very strongly Sunday morning because I think it's important that as our church grow, people understand what we hold the Bible as being and how we hold to the Bible. We take a very high view of Scripture here at Faith Baptist Church. We're not ashamed of that. Uh, part of that means that when we look at our Bible, we find all of it to be inspired. I covered a lot of that this morning. And so in chapter 3, verse 16, the Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That's the Old Testament, that's the New Testament, all of it. And all of it is profitable for doctrine, for, correct, uh, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Okay, all of the, the Bible, the entire Bible is practical for that. Now, I want to mention this, that a Baptist church will hold in special esteem, not that it is more inspired, but in special esteem as authoritative the New Testament. In other words, the faith and practice, and I want you to listen carefully, this is a Baptist distinctive. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about this for a moment. The faith and practice of a Baptist church centers on the teaching of the New Testament. The belief in the divine inspiration of the Bible, as we outlined it this morning, the verbal plenary teaching of the Bible and inspiration of the Bible, that it is God-breathed, that it is God-breathed in its words, that it is plenarily or entirely God-breathed, that it is inerrant, and that it is especially infallible. Those teachings are all teachings of those who go with the moniker fundamentalist. That's historic fundamentalism. But Baptist churches in particular differ from some others in that we hold the New Testament as our rule for faith and practice. So, so for example, in a Baptist church, the leader of the church is not a priest except that he is a believer priest. And every Christian, every member of the church is a believer priest as well. But we do not have in a Baptist church a separate priesthood. In the Roman church, they have that, a separate priesthood that claims the power to forgive sins. Now, you say, Pastor Monty, where, where do they come up with that in the Bible? They mix the Old Testament and the New Testament because they commit a cardinal error. And you need to hear this. The cardinal error of Protestantism is to claim that somehow the church is in the Old Testament. Ladies and gentlemen, it is not. Understand that. It is not in the Old Testament. You say, well, wait a minute, Pastor Monty, but what about all the smells and bells of the Old Testament worship system? That has nothing to do with New Testament practice. Could you, uh, could you turn this up a little bit? I think I'm, am I loud enough? I don't feel loud enough. <laughs> I want to be louder, okay? I'm talking about Baptist distinctives tonight. I want to be louder. Now, that's not the whole message, but I want to point something out. I think it's really important to understand. So, so, for example, in the Baptist church, we don't make a distinction between clergy and laity, okay? We're, we're all equal in the eyes of the Lord. Now, I have a position 
as pastor, but that does not mean that I have some kind of a, 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 a better way to God. You know, sometimes people say, Pastor Monty, pray for you. I know that God hears you more than he hears me. That's not true. If you're right with God, it doesn't matter the position you hold, we are all believer priests before God. Understand this. And so uh, the Baptist Church in particular holds to the idea of the New Testament as being authoritative. Now, by the way, every great, I'm not going to go into the detail on this, you could read about it in the book uh, Baptist Distinctives, a New Testament Church Order by Kevin Bowder, an excellent book from Regular Baptist Press. I highly recommend it. You could read about that there, but all of the Baptists of different strains. How many know there's different groups of Baptists? Do you know that? Yeah. All of them across the board, all of them would say that the New Testament is our authority. So our churches are structured after the New Testament. And in addition to that, we believe in the sufficiency of the New Testament so that we do not need to add something to it. Now that makes us different from a lot of denominations. If you're a Lutheran, for example, you have the Bible, but you also have something called the Book of Concord that is authoritative in the Lutheran Church. We don't have a book like that. If you're a Methodist, you might have the, you'll have the Bible, but then you're going to have some other things. The, the doctrine, there's a handbook for Methodist ministers. We're going to have to go by that. Uh, the recent developed uh, Methodist group, the Global uh, Methodist Today, and by the way, they're very conservative. They split away wisely, 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 split away from the United Methodist Church. That was a good move. They're confessional, they're conservative, but they not only go by the Bible, but they hold to 26 different sermons that were written by John Wesley. Now, to be honest, I'd probably agree with the sermons. I haven't read all 26 of them, but I'd probably agree with them in the main. However, I'm not going to elevate any of the writings of man to anywhere near the level of Scripture. Does everybody follow me on that? That's where we get in trouble. That's where churches go off the rails. And so uh, we don't want to do that. But the Bible, we've said the Bible is sufficient for doctrine in a Baptist church. Particularly, our faith and practice is based upon the New Testament. It's good for reproof. We talked about that, the rebuking of wrong behavior. Now, the next one, correction. I didn't say enough about it this morning. It's good for correction. That means restoration. Very unique word used in the Greek New Testament. It talks about putting someone back on the right path. Now listen, it's not just about rebuking, it's about fixing. And God is all about fixing. And if people are willing, and if hearts are willing, and if there's an eagerness to submit to the Bible, as we spoke of this morning, then correction can take place. And the last one mentioned is instruction in righteousness. That is training as to how to do the right thing. All right, we, we talked about this. But now, look at verse, the next verse down, verse 17. The Bible says, what is the purpose? What is the purpose of divine inspiration what is the purpose of the gift of Scripture that God has given to us? The Scripture that is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. What is the purpose? Here it is, verse number 17. That, that's a purpose, introduction to a purpose clause, that the man of God may be perfect. Aha, Pastor Monty, the man of God is flawless and without sin. No, 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 you'd be wrong about that. Perfect means mature. It means growing in Christ to a place of maturity. The purpose of the Word of God, the Scripture, 
is that the man of God, and that, by the way, is a unique phrase that kind of deals with leadership of the church. Remember, Timothy was the pastor of the church at Ephesus. That the man of God may be perfect, that means mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So watch this. The practical aspect of what we believe about the Bible is that if we engage the Bible appropriately, the Bible will change our lives. Now, the operative word in that last sentence is the word if. If. If we will engage the Bible appropriately. Listen very carefully. Many a religious system has a way of keeping its membership in check. Years ago, I knew a young man who was part of a, the Jehovah's Witness cult. The Jehovah's Witnesses is a cult. It is not a Christian organization. You say, Pastor Monty, why do you say that? They do not believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. They do not correctly identify Jesus. It is a cult, okay? I can say that indefinite without any hesitation. Jehovah's Witness is a cult. Now, they, they, they don't hold to correct doctrine about the person of Christ. That's a very serious matter. Um, but within the Jehovah's Witness cult, they had ways of keeping their members in check. So this young man would come to me sometimes uh, during a break at work, many years ago, and he would say something like this. He would say, he would say, Monty, say, um, I want to give you some literature. There was Watchtower literature. He said, I want to give you some literature. Will you read this? And I said, yeah. I said, I'll be glad to read it if you'll take literature from me and read my literature. He wouldn't take it. He wouldn't take it. Do you know why he wouldn't take it? Because he's not allowed to have it. Because if he's caught with it, he gets in trouble by the group. In other words, he wasn't allowed. Now, I'd be glad to read his. It wasn't going to affect me any. I'd be glad to read his. In fact, one time we together, we discussed um, uh, the matter of the rich man and Lazarus. And I turned in my Bible during a break time. I said, he said, you know, there's no fire in hell. He said, there's no such thing as fire in hell. He said, people go to hell, they're annihilated. He said, there's no such thing as fire in hell. Uh, I, I, I said, read the story here. Read the story. He read it out of my King James Bible. He read it. And I said, now, if you just read that and didn't have any of your Bible books and commentaries, I said, if you just read that without anyone telling you anything different, what would you think about that? Would you believe there's fire in hell? Well, he said, when you put it that way, yeah. But he said, but I've got this watchtower, blah, 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 okay? Now, what were they doing? They're going by something other than the Word of God, and a cult will keep its people in check by manipulation. A Bible-preaching church preaches the truth and allows people to grow with the Holy Spirit's guidance, okay? So all of these things is true. Now, but what are some responses to the Bible? So I can grow as a Christian. I can know what it is to be transformed if I respond properly. What are the responses we see today? This is more and more becoming a, a panoply of different responses, centering, though, I think, on negative. I'm going to give you some responses. Response number one to the Bible. Some people choose to actively oppose it, to actively oppose it, to deny its truth and its relevance. To say that it is dangerous, this is why in some public schools <coughs> the Bible has been taken off of the shelf and has been replaced with LGBTXYZQ literature and they say that the Bible is dangerous, we must oppose this. More and more this is becoming a prevalent position. Ladies and gentlemen, 
That's a very, very wrong position to hold. In fact, I'd hate to be those people when I stand before God. To reject the Bible is to reject Jesus Christ, the living word. Now, no one here would have that problem, but increasingly in our culture, there are those who oppose it. But a next response to the Bible is this, to ignore it, to ignore it. I think largely that's where we are today. In fact, to be frank with you, ignoring Scripture, I think, is the devil's playground. Now, now people will say, well, yeah, Pastor Monty, I know there's a Bible. But the greatest book in the history of Western civilization is largely ignored in our corrupt public school system. In fact, it has been replaced by a lot of things that had arguably very little positive influence at all historically, and the Bible has been shelved because we will just ignore it. That is why this morning I said there's an increasing level of biblical illiteracy in our land. To ignore the Bible is to have apathy toward it, (coughs) ignorance of it, no genuine concern about it. To be uneducated in regard to the the most influential and powerful volume the world has ever known. Many years ago, I was on a flight from somewhere to Indianapolis. I don't remember where it was. There's a man sitting next to me, and I took out my Bible. This this very Bible I have right here. I took out my Bible, put it on the little tray in front of me. I was looking at something. Maybe I was writing a sermon real fast. I don't know what I was doing. And the man was sitting next to me, he'd taken out a bunch of papers. It looked like he was a teacher. He was going to grade these papers. He glanced over and looked at what I was doing. And uh, he, said, um, he said, oh, he said, what is that? I said, that's a Bible. And he kind of looked at me. He said, really? That's a Bible? I said, yes. He said, well, why are you reading that? And I said, because I'm a pastor. And then he said, do, do you mind if I put my work away and ask you questions? And he introduced himself as the chairman of the sociology department of Duquesne University. Gave me his name. I'll not say his name here because it's online. And he introduced himself as the chairman. He said, he said now why are you looking at the Bible? I said, well, because I believe the Bible's the word of God. He said, really? He said, I've always heard that there are people like you Really, he said this, but he said, I I never thought I'd meet one. (laughs) And he said, do do you mind if I just ask you a bunch of questions? And I said, sure. So for the remainder of the flight, he had questions. He asked me everything from Israel and the Middle East and the controversy. I'm flipping through my Bible to show him why why Israel is always at at odds with the Arab neighbors. And that's answered in the Bible because the Arab neighbors are wild men. They get along with nobody. They never will, blah, blah, blah. I'm showing him all this. He asked me about his son. He said his son was involved in the use of um, of, uh, marijuana and other kind of drugs for uh, for an effect. He said, said, now I told my son that this was just a, a matter of culture and things like that. What would you have said? What would you have done? <laughs> Beat him with a stick. But anyway, uh, <laughs> he asked a series of questions, just a series of questions, really interesting questions. And you know what? At the end of it, he was really stumped. And he said, I'm bothered by this conversation. I said, why are you bothered? He said, well, he said, that book that you have answers all your questions. 
And he says, what bothers me is, you seem pretty normal. <laughs> I'm not, you know, not totally off the wall. And he said, that book that you have, it's given you peace. And it's given you answers. And he said, now, I think you're just too simplistic in your view about life. That's what he was telling me. But he said, it's worked for you. And I said to him, I said, have you ever read the Bible? Chairman of the sociology department of Duquesne University. And he said, no, I never have. What? The most influential volume in the West. He said, right now I'm studying the effect. Listen to this. Talk about useless. You want to talk about useless? He said, right now I'm studying the effect on dairy farmers and their inability to go on vacation because the cows have to be milked. And this is what he was studying. And you're bypassing the Bible in exchange for something trivial. Folks, that's where we are today. Now, he did, thankfully, he did take a great interest in it, but, but only at that point in time. That's where we are. Some will oppose it, some will ignore it. Some, and this is an interesting point, responses, possible responses to the Bible. Some go beyond it. Some go beyond it. Pastor Money, what are you talking about? Well, Jesus talked about a whole group, in fact, several groups of people in the New Testament era who went beyond what the Bible said. Does anyone remember who that is? Come on. The Pharisees, thank you, the Pharisees. They, they believed the Bible. They were the orthodox ones of the day, but then they took it much further. They said, okay, God's given a command about this, and so we're going to make 10 rules that will keep us away from possibly breaking the command about this. We're going to make 10 more rules. And then we're going to elevate those rules to almost, or in some cases, equal level to Scripture. And if someone breaks one of our rules, it's as if they're breaking the Scripture. And they did that, they thought, to protect the Bible. And what they ended up doing is replacing the Bible with a system of man's rules. And we never want to go that direction. We never want to fall prey to that. That would, be, that would be very dangerous. Now, you hold to what you want. You practice what you want individually, but don't claim everything you think is in the Bible. Every, uh, Pastor Monty, I, I have a list of this, 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 and this. I will do this, 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 and this, and I won't do this, 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 and this. Good for you. But be careful. You've got to show me verses. And by the way, they have to be New Testament. Well, Pastor Monty, if I rummage around long enough in the law of Moses, I could be against just about anything. <laughs> yeah, you probably could be. The only problem is if you rummage around in the law of Moses, you better obey the entire law. You can't pick and choose. And unfortunately, I hate to say this, but a lot of fundamentalists rummage around in the law of Moses looking for some kind of a rule, and they grab that but they don't obey the rest. They won't follow the rest. If you're going to hold to one part of it, you have to hold to all of it. So some people go beyond it, responses to the Bible. Other people simply avoid it, avoid it. That's religion without obedience. It's uh, soccer mom respectability is what it is. It's um, I can live any way I want as long as I have an emotional feeling. I'm going to avoid the Bible because the Bible, by the way, the Bible is not a feel-good book. Did you know that? Uh, if you think it's a feel-good book, you ain't read it lately. Okay, someone's past money must be such a blessing to just study the Bible all the time. No, quite frankly, it beats me up. Every time I open it, it beats me up. Boom, 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 boom. Straighten up. Fix yourself. Straighten up. That's the proper response. 
but some people just avoid it. And so here's what they do. They live any way they want. They do whatever they want. They listen to K-Love, and they think it's all good. I'm listening to K-Love, God loves me no matter what I'm doing. That's not Christianity. Well, let me be clear about that. That's sloppy. That's, that's not spiritual. That's carnal. Well, I can do anything I want, but if I turn on K-Love, I'll feel better about my sin. Folks, listen to me. It's dangerous. And we avoid the Bible, and we walk out of the Bible. We're not interested in the Bible. And is it any wonder our lives fall apart? Is it any wonder? Is it any wonder at the end of the day, we, we're, well, I, I, church just doesn't work for me. It's not church. Okay, what is it that makes the man of God mature, perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works? What is it? It is the scripture. It is my response to the Bible. And by the way, it's not just listening. It's taking it in and obeying. It's embracing it. I'm not going to avoid it. It, What amazes me today is you can find online any number of people who will justify a violation of biblical precepts. They'll justify it and claim it's scriptural. The error you can find online today is rife. If you hear something brand new, be careful about that. Be careful about it. But there are those who avoid it. They want religion without obedience. It's a soccer mom respectability, and they're looking for that. But then, here's another response to the Bible. There are those who embrace it. Now look again at verse 17. Scripture is given to us for the purpose that the man of God may be perfect, that is mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. When does the Bible work? Listen, when I embrace it. When I embrace it. Now, that means I embrace it for the things that I quote-unquote agree with and the things that I don't. And this is the rub on culture. And by the way, this is where the evangelical church has failed because all will, we'll just tell everyone things they want to hear. No, I embrace it when it appeals to me and I embrace it when it rubs me the wrong way. Embracing the Bible means that I genuinely pursue Christ through the pages of the word. I love it. And I come to know Jesus this way. Oh, Pastor Monty, I... I love to be in church because I just experience Jesus. Listen, I love worship. I love worship. I love it when we sing these great hymns, and if you think about the words enough, they'll move your emotion. They'll move your emotion. You don't have to sing songs that sound like a love song to Jesus. Just saying. That's not necessary. The great hymns, they'll move you emotionally if you start to think about the words. We sang this morning a song that makes me want to jump out of my skin. Great is thy faithfulness. One of my favorite songs, Great is Thy Faithfulness. We, we, and we, it's powerful. The words are powerful. God is faithful to us, and those words are powerful. Hey, there's, there's nothing wrong with that, but do you know what the meat and potatoes is in church? It's opening the Bible and knowing Jesus through the Word of God. It's understanding the Scripture. You know what amazes me? At the, and and I, this is not a problem at our church but the number of Christians who get bored with the Bible, and they just want entertainment and smoke and mirrors and and some guy in skinny jeans to prance gaily across the platform. 
Oh, you heard it, I just said it. And smile at everyone and say nothing about this book. Oh, they'll hold it in their hand, it's a prop. It's a prop. But they don't ever go into it verse by verse. They don't go ever, go, ever go into it line upon line. That's not where the power lies. If I need my life to be changed, then I need to embrace this book in such a way as I become immersive with the book of God. It also means this, that I acknowledge my own sin. It means that. Pastor Monty, now, now come on, you don't want to make people feel guilty. No, I don't want to. But if the Bible does, that's a different story. It's never my job to manipulate. And by the way, on the left, pardon me, that's the left, my left, on the left... And on the right, there are people in religious circles that will manipulate all day long. All day, I don't care if you're liberal or conservative, they're manipulators. Do you know what the right approach is? To open that book and let the Holy Spirit of God apply it to the heart. To let the Holy Spirit make the changes. Do you know why? Because that is when the change is powerful. That is when the change is real. That is when the change is permanent. But it means this, that sometimes... I have to look myself square in the eye and say I'm wrong. Sometimes I have to say, God, forgive me. Sometimes I have to say, I had a bad attitude about this. You ever have a bad attitude? Anyone? All three of you? The rest of you are so saintly that you should never hang out with me. We all have bad attitudes sometimes. Sometimes we need to confess that. You ever been wrong about something? Okay, okay. You know what, if we love the word of God, we take that rebuke and it changes us. The Holy Spirit applies that to our lives and it changes us. So I'm going to embrace it. It means I'm going to acknowledge my sin and my failure and I'm going to repent of it. It means, by the way, that I'm going to accept the challenge of doing better. Do you know why? The Bible never leaves you where you are. If you notice verse 17, it is a process that the man of God may be perfect. He's headed that way. That means mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good work. It means that preaching and Bible reading and Bible study should challenge me to be better than I am. It should challenge me to try harder. I should look at something when I read the scripture or hear a sermon, and I should say, okay, there's something in this for me. God, what is it that you want me to hear? What is my reaction, my response? Today, I focused everything on the Word of God, the Bible. You know what we ought to do? If we're not reading it, we ought to read it. We ought to read it every day. Pastor Monty, that sounds legalistic. Listen, it's not legalistic to say, God, I want to know you more, and I'm going to know you through the pages of the book. The problem with Christian culture today is a very shallow knowledge of God because it is not based on Scripture. So we want to challenge folks to do better. And then when I open my Bible, I do find comfort in the grace of God. That's how God speaks to me. So, Pastor Monty, I'm going through a hard time. I like listening to Christian music, and, if, and, and it should help you some. I like that. But you know what the real, the real help is in the Word of God? Uh, the real help is there. I mean, I, I love to listen to a song that uplifts me, like Great Is Thy Faithfulness, mentioned a moment ago. I love that, but the real help is turning in the pages of the Bible. 
Rehop is, if I'm in a dark time, is reading through the Psalms. If I'm going through some really deep waters, to think about the heroes of the Bible who went through really, really deep waters. When I, God's given us a, a, a wonderful a cornucopia in the Bible of people who've gone through deep waters, and I can look and I can read. If it's really bad, you know what book you should turn to? Book of Job. Most of us have never faced anything like that. that. That's a wonderful book. We find comfort in God's word. So when I'm talking about embracing it, what am I saying? I'm saying that the Bible is the voice in church, especially the New Testament. I emphasized that a moment ago. I'm saying that the Bible is the authoritative, now I'm going to make people mad right here, and just go ahead and be mad. The Bible is the authoritative voice in my marriage, period. And my home is set up the way God says it's to be set up. Let me ask you a question, because I know you're about to get irritated. Let me ask you a question. How many of y'all have, have kids or have had kids, little kids? Oh, look at that, so many. Aren't they lovely? Aren't they wonderful? Aren't they just beautiful? And isn't it true that they always behave no? But you know what? Well, kids, let me just tell you something right now. Do you know what? Can I let you in on a little secret? It's not important that you obey your parents. Not at all. Boy, I got all of their attention. Oh, and yours too. It's not important that you obey your parents. You know, because after all, Jenna, quit nodding. <laughs> Too enthusiastic. It's, it's not important because, because, after all, it's just optional. And after all, shouldn't you go by your feelings? And how many of you have ever had feelings? You ever had feelings? And, so, and your feelings kind of, you know, and it's against your parents. And so you just go by your, your, your feelings, kids. And if you'll go by your feelings, well, just be feeling-oriented. Now, every parent in the audience should right now be extremely irritated with me. Okay? Really, you should. Now, for clarity, I'm doing this, young people, as an illustration. Nothing, yeah, I'm sorry to disappoint. Nothing I said to you is true, okay? But you're, the parents, you're, huh, I can't, can't believe. Pastor Monty is undermining parental authority. And Pastor Monty is telling those kids they can act on their feelings that they could ever they want. And Pastor Monty just undermined my authority as a parent. My kids need to obey me. They need to do the right thing because I'm an authority. All the parents feel that way in the room. You know where the problem lies? The Bible also says the husband is the authority over his wife. Ugh. You know? Yeah. The husband's the authority. Well, the kids have to obey. But I, as the wife, don't have to obey. Whoa. What? See what that is? Partial agreement with the Bible. Do you know what that is? Let's just lay it out, and I'll split the church right now. Let's just do it. I'm going on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> no, but in all serious, that's believing the Bible partway. Right? But it's not, well, Pastor Monty, I'm just going to believe the Bible, oh, when it's convenient to me. And then you wonder why things fall apart. I'll be honest with you, okay? 
And, and this is not even the message, but now it just became the message. So why? Because I got your attention finally, <laughs> after trying for 30 minutes. Okay. Uh, honest truth is, though, the Bible is the book that tells us authoritatively how our home should be ordered. Now, gentlemen, you know that you're to love your wife as Christ loved the church. That's your job. And you're not to be lame about that. But ladies, you also know that the Bible says that you are to submit to your husband, that you're to obey him in everything. That's exactly what Scripture teaches. Now, now watch the wonderful thing about the Bible. When both husband and wife are equally committed to that ideal, God's ideal, they're equally committed to that ideal, and they're equally committed to their relationship with God, watch what happens. The marriage is strengthened, and they draw closer together. Well, you say, Pastor Monty, it just doesn't work sometimes. And do you know why that is? Lack of commitment to that book. On the part of one, husband or wife, or both, and not taking it seriously, because after all, the culture is what matters. So when you leave the auditorium tonight, don't any of you men beat your chest like Tarzan, pull her by the hair and say, come with me, Jane. We're not doing that. But what we're saying is, God has an authority structure, and I cannot insist on one part of it. Kids, look at me. Look at me, kids. I can't insist on that part of it and throw the other part of it away. Do you follow what I'm saying? Because both are equally important. It's the voice in the church. It's the voice in the home. It's, the Bible is the voice in human relationships. You know what one of the key things is in human relationships? Forgive. Forgiveness. One of the biggest hang-ups some Christian people have is they won't forgive. Forgiveness is to release a debt. Forgiveness has nothing to do with your feelings. Nothing. Forgiveness is, it's over, it's done. I'm, I'm not discussing it, it's over. It's canceled. There's no more. That's what forgiveness is. Kindness. Kindness. That's one of the most basic building blocks of Scripture. It's how we treat one another with kindness. And yet some people just throw it out the window. So if I'm really going to embrace the voice of the Bible, those are some basic things. The, the voice of God in my fellowship with him is the word of God. Pastor Monty, how do you hear God's voice? Look at me. I don't hear an audible voice, and neither do you. Boom. I had a neighbor. <laughs> they moved away. I had a neighbor who, of course, knew I was a pastor, and every time I was in the yard, she hustled over to say something to me. And she'd say, Pastor Monty, God spoke to me, blah, 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 blah. And God told me this, and God told me that, and God told me the other thing. Don't, you know, I just, ugh, ugh, ugh. It's just piety, crazy piety. God told me this, and God told me that. Funny thing, God never told her to go to church. <laughs> I think God forgot about that, because they didn't go. Funny thing. You know what? It's not some something whispering in your ear. You know the voice of God by the word of God. That's how God speaks. You say, Pastor Monty, I want to hear from God. Then I've got to be in his word. Okay, I've got to know what the Bible says. I've got to fellowship through the word of God. When I embrace the Bible, it is the voice of fellowship with God. It is the voice, by the way, in culture, in our culture. I could go on and on, but I won't. It's the voice in our culture. So, Pastor, what, what, what do you mean? Hmm. This right here. 
Someone came to me this morning and said they're facing a conundrum at work. This will be more and more the truth as we trudge deeper into stupidity. IU healthcare system is woke. You hear what I just said? It's woke. I go to IU because that's where the insurance covered. I saw a doctor there a while back over something that was nothing. And I went to see a doctor and I sat down with him and I said to him, I said, Doc, I said, I don't trust medicine. And I don't. I don't. Not after COVID. Hard to convince me of anything. I don't trust medicine. But then I said this. I said, Doc, I especially don't trust IU medicine. What? He shut the door. He said, can you explain to me your last statement? I said, because at this hospital, you turn little boys into little girls. And I said, that is wrong. And I will not call the doctor's name because I don't want him to get fired. But behind closed doors, he said to me, I cannot wait to retire. He said, health care is not what it used to be. He said, I could not agree with you more. And he said, I just want to keep my head down and get done with this. And I would recommend no one to be a doctor today. He's a surgeon. Do you know what, folks? The voice of this book in culture is real. And some people are going to have to make some really, it's going to make some really hard decisions coming up because of the pressure that will be pushed against the Christian conscience. But here's what I'm saying. This is not an option. This is the word of God. This dictate, well, Pastor Monty, my public school teacher said blah, blah, blah. Does it follow this book? Is it in accord with this book? If it's not, it's false. Well, how do you know? Because this is the word of God. Get that settled in your heart and in your mind, and things will change in your life. If, if it's just, well, you know, it's a trapping, it's a decoration, it's something we reference around Christmas time and Easter, and, 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 and that's about all it is. It'll never change your life. It'll never make you a stronger, better person. But if this is in your heart, the Bible says it is a purpose clause. The Bible says that the man of God may be perfect, mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Father, thank you for your word tonight. The Bibles we hold in our hand are precious. And Lord, we just have to read it, understand it, and believe it. The Spirit of God, I pray, you'll speak to every heart tonight. May we be submissive to the book that has the answers. Father, may we take it seriously. Lord, it, it's so different from our culture, so different from the expectations of this world, so different from what have become the pagan norms of our day. But Father, may we embrace it against the flow. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Give us grace and strength and courage to do this. In Jesus' name, stand with me, please, everyone standing together.